This week's episode is brought to you by Warner Brothers Television's hit CBS comedy, Young Sheldon, from the Big Bang Theory executive producers Chuck Lorre and Steve Malaro. The Daily Beast says that Young Sheldon has enough heart, creative independence, and integrity to stand alone, while NPR's Eric Deggins calls Young Sheldon the best new show on the networks. And Yahoo TV calls Young Sheldon uncommonly well-acted and cleverly conceived. With the casting coup of the year, Ian Armitage's performance as a nine-year-old Sheldon Cooper, he's exceptional. For your Emmy consideration in all categories. Hi, I'm Dominic Patton. And I'm Pete Hammond. And this is the Deadline Podcast TV Talk. Today, we'll be discussing the Emmy contenders for Best Actor in a Comedy Series. Plus, you'll hear from my interview with Maggie Gyllenhaal from HBO's The Deuce and Dominic's interview with the cast and creators of Hulu's The Looming Tower from our annual Emmy Contenders event. But before we get to all that, Pete and I are immediately going to jump into talking about contenders for this year's upcoming Emmys. Now, of course, some people think it's way too early. Personally, I think we're almost too late talking about it. But let's kick off right now by talking about Best Actor in a Comedy Series. Now, last year's winner was Donald Glover for Atlanta, which also won Best Directing. And I got to tell you, he certainly is a contender this year. Pete? Oh, I think he's a contender because the Academy, the Television Academy, tends to like to repeat winners. And uh, that was so unique. And, uh, you know, it's still very fresh, that show. Uh, so there's no question. Plus, he's a bit of a Emmy darling right now, as you say, having won Best Directing as well. Uh, so he's got the... Uh, and also, mo- of course, uh, also, of course, he's going to... His, his star is about to go intergalactic, so to speak, because, of course, Donald is going to be playing Lando Calrissian in the upcoming Solo movie, which comes out just in a few weeks. So I, I think in many ways here, Donald Glover is... You know, if you're if you bet, that's where you want to make your bet. And I would say even more. And, you know, people can see my review about this season two of Atlanta, which is called Atlanta Robin season. It takes a show which was already piercingly insightful and, and amazingly uh, inventive to a whole new level. I mean, if you haven't seen the, the barbershop episode or the Teddy Perkins episode, you haven't seen what some of the best television that's out there is. And I'm talking comedy, drama, documentary, everything. If anybody thinks they can take Donald Glover down, they're going to have to come in swinging. And uh, and they may well. Uh, you know, you can see that uh, Zach Galifianakis is getting more active in pushing uh, since uh, Louis Anderson, his uh, a supporting actor in his series Baskets, uh, has already won an Emmy and been nominated. But Zach uh, tends to be overlooked and, um, you know, maybe get a nomination. But uh, I think he's serious about it. And he showed up at our Contenders event. And uh, that's true. That's true. That's true. And, you know, and Zach, Zach isn't a guy who tends to work the circuit like that. We should also point out, actually, though, that some people, you know, last year, Aziz Ansari was uh, nominated for Masters of None. He's actually not eligible for this year because of the way the the, the show came out uh, and, and the way it's coming out on Netflix. And I have to tell you, Jeffrey Tamborn was nominated last year. I don't think we're going to see Jeffrey getting nominated this year. So we might see a very, very different selection of people. Zach, of course, was nominated last year, as was Anthony Anderson and William H. Macy. I think, this is just me, I know you're talking Zach, but I think Anthony Anderson from Blackish, who also showed up at our Deadline Contenders event and was, as usual, awesome. Yes. I think Anthony, who's been nominated three times, never won, I think he could be the one. 
He's got a who shot. Could maybe give Don Glover a run for his money. Yeah, he's got a shot. I'm certain Glover and Anthony Anderson and William H. Macy uh, will all be nominated uh, again. Um, I, I don't think Jeffrey Tambor will be. I just think that that's full of controversy and all sorts of things. And I don't think uh, that's got much heat heat on it for a nomination for him this year. No, I actually, I actually agree with you. I think even even if it hadn't been for the for the the sexual harassment scandal that surrounded him and the fact that he was essentially. Uh, you can call it fired. Some people can say let go, whatever, or walked away ungracefully from transparent. The fact that he's not really in the game actually, I think, takes him out of the game, anyways. But I think actually, this wasn't a, this wasn't a season for him, and he'd already had a lot of honors anyway. So yeah. I mean, let's be clear: it wasn't like Jeffrey was being left out in the cold beforehand. I will tell you something though: that I think there's two wild cards this year, very interesting wild cards actually. First of all, is Eric McCormick. Who is back now that Will and Grace is back? Yes. You know he won for his role on Will and Grace years and years ago, and he's been nominated four times. I think that there's a real possibility when you talk about the, how the Academy loves to 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 recycle, so to speak. And yeah. then, you know, I say this: both you and I are Academy members, so we can speak honestly. But I also think the part of the thing is there is a lot of love there for Will and Grace. There's a lot of love there for for Eric, and so I do think that he could be a wild card here. Yeah. Additionally. And here could be some history, which I think could be great. Ian Armitage from Young Sheldon, who also was at our Contenders event. I mean, we're just going to keep plugging Contenders because Contenders well, you know, great. And if you weren't uh, there, you got to be there again. Ian Armitage, I can't forget at the Contenders event, he was literally jumping off the Contenders sign in the uh, green room there. And, uh, exactly. And then, and then when he was on stage with our TV editor, <laughs> Nellie Andreva, I have to say at one point I started thinking, well, hold on, Young Sheldon's not a comedy. It's a documentary. This kid is brilliant. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when he started doing, he started laying down verses from Hamilton. Lafayette, I'm taking this horse by the reins, being red coats, red of blood stains. Lafayette, I'm never going to stop till McDrop burn with scatter remains in Lafayette. Watch me engage and I escape and I'm raging. I'm out. Lafayette, go to friends from all funds. Lafayette, come back with more guns and ships. And so the balance shifts. We rendezvous with Rochambeau, consolidate their gifts. We can end this war in Yorktown. Cut them off, you'll see. But for this to succeed, there was someone else we need. I know, Hamilton. Which I thought was going to be kind of awkward, but instead of being just, you know, to use it the second time in this podcast, ended up being kind of awesome. Here's yeah. the interesting thing, though. If he is nominated, he would be the youngest nominee ever in the category. Now, yeah. Fred Savage was nominated before, but he was 13 years old. Ian is considerably younger than that. So yeah. that could actually be quite interesting if that happens. He, is, he will be 10 years old this year. I mean, yeah, you know, if you want to say, certainly he won't be a recycled contender, but it could be something that would just be... I mean, the, the kid has star power to burn. Look, as one who was always uh, rooting for Jay North to be nominated for Dennis the Menace, uh, I think that uh, kids are overlooked in the uh, Emmys uh, in general here, except in their own little ghetto category of children's programming and things. And I think this is a very smart uh, show. He's a terrific young actor. I mean, very precocious, no question about it, but uh, uh, super smart. And I think they like the show. The show's been successful. So I see a Huge. real possibility for that a level of history being made there. I agree with you on Eric McCormick on the reboot of Will and Grace. I think people are welcoming that back. Um, I would add... Um, John Goodman in Roseanne, who was nominated repeatedly, yeah, interesting, interesting, repeatedly when Roseanne was on and never won, and um, and people love John Goodman. So I but see. Do you think? But but Pete, I will ask you this though. I mean, you know, look, Roseanne came back on fire. Let's yeah. not kid ourselves about that. And there were look, I, I had some issues when I reviewed it. 
not with with the content, but actually the the execution, which it seemed at least in the first couple episodes, you could clearly see people, including Goodman, reading cue cards, et cetera, et cetera. But there was a lot of heat around those first episode, that first episode, particularly Roseanne, with its great numbers, but also its kind of leaning to Trump, which Roseanne made very clear. She personally voted for him to show the Trump voter, in this case, in, in, uh, in non-urban Illinois, um, the working-class white voter. Do you wonder that if there'll be some, I mean, you know, Donald Trump, not exactly the most popular guy in Hollywood. Do you wonder if there's <laughs> going to be maybe some backlash, and that could stop Goodman from getting a nomination? Uh, well, inevitably, there'll be some backlash. I don't know that it's, you know, if there is backlash and it's affecting the show, then that's one thing. But I don't think it would affect John Goodman, uh, personally, as much as it will, uh, perhaps, Roseanne. And we'll see how much backlash there is. It's interesting to note they never mentioned the name Trump in that episode or in the entire series. And, uh, you know, they kept that sort of out of it, but it got so much attention about her own views on Trump. This is a very interesting situation about how that might affect the chances of the show in general, because Emmy voters do love, unlike a lot of Oscar voters, they do love uh, a show that connects in a big way like that and has uh, had Emmy love in the past. She's even won an Emmy, you know, uh, but John yeah, has yeah. never won and he was consistently nominated. So I would look out for him as a real interesting uh, situation that might go in uh, to this year's category. And then there, I'll mention one other, uh, since we've mentioned the returning actors like uh, from, from long ago, um, Eric McCormick and John Goodman, Ted Danson. Uh, with The Good Place, yeah. uh, he'd have the most nominations for Best Actor in a Comedy if he gets nominated. And well, I mean, you know, there's also, there's also I mean, if, if we're looking at it for this year, you know, Larry David with Curb Your Enthusiasm came back. You know, yeah. Larry, Larry could be in this too. I, I have to tell you, I, I know what you're saying about Ted, but like Larry and maybe even some degree Matt LeBlanc for episodes. Yeah. I just don't see them having the, the rocket fuel that's needed in this environment. When you look at the Donald Glovers, Zach for Baskets, Anthony Anderson, and, 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 and to some degree, Eric McCormick, just because it's such, a, it's such a huge show and it's back, et cetera, et cetera. I just don't see a lot of those other guys in maybe in any other year, in any other field. But you know, when you see the work that Donald Glover's doing, when you see the work that Anthony Anderson's doing, it's kind of hard for some of those guys to really get any traction. Well, let's talk about two more newcomers uh, this year. Uh, Bill Hader, both, uh, oddly enough, from you know uh, the world of Saturday Night Live and everything. Uh, Bill H Hader and Barry and Tracy Morgan in The Last OG. Both of them are interesting here because Tracy Morgan's coming back all the way back um, you know, from his accident, literally almost from the dead. Tracy yes. Morgan. So almost I think that's, dead. I think that's a factor for some voters and, um, hmm. and they love Tracy Morgan, Bill Hader. I am absolutely uh, certain did the best Saturday night live of the season. He was just great. When you saw him on that show, I think he'll be nominated. Yeah, But what, but what Bar but Barry, you know, I get Barry kind of showed up on HBO and it kind of like, it, it, it's there. It does. Okay. But it, I don't see it. You know, I think nowadays, maybe that maybe I'm wrong, um, but I think in this heavily politicized climate we're in, I think especially going into the 2018 elections, which is when you know we're going to be very close to that when the actual Emmys are handed out. I think there is a very, very um, energized environment, almost like static electricity about everything. And if you touch it and you don't get a shock, people just move on. And I feel that even in comedy, you know, we're going to see this effect happening. I don't know if the Trump Trumpetization of America is real or if it's just something that us on the on the coast just talk about, but I do 
know that it is something that is, is part that's permeated into our, our conversation just by the sheer way of the, the, new, the amount of news the man makes in, in, in one day is usually less than most presidents used to make in a month, if not their, half their entire terms. Right. So I do think that the, the politics of culture, the politics of Trump are going to play a role. And a lot of these guys, a lot of these shows, maybe if this was 2014, maybe 2013, but I don't see them in 2018. I just don't see the spotlight turning to them. Yep. Well, you may have a real point there, and uh, and we'll see soon enough. But it does look like there's about two slots open for anybody that wasn't nominated last year. And, um, and I think those could go to Eric McCormick and John Goodman to take us back in the time machine. Well, having said that, I believe you, Mr. Hammond, have a word from our sponsor. This week's episode is brought to you by Warner Brothers Television's hit CBS comedy, Young Sheldon, from the Big Bang Theory executive producers Chuck Lorre and Steve Malaro. The Daily Beast says that Young Sheldon has enough heart, creative independence, and integrity to stand alone, while NPR's Eric Deggins calls Young Sheldon the best new show on the networks. And Yahoo TV calls Young Sheldon uncommonly well-acted and cleverly conceived. With the casting coup of the year, Ian Armitage's performance as a nine-year-old Sheldon Cooper, he's exceptional. For your Emmy consideration in all categories. I recently interviewed Maggie Gyllenhaal for my series, The Actor's Side, with Pete Hammond, and uh, we talked about her new series on HBO, very controversial show, very gritty and realistic about the uh, birth of the porn industry, basically, in the early 70s in New York City's Times Square area, and uh, she plays a uh, hooker-turned-porn actress, quite timely right now, fascinating interview with this wonderful Emmy and Oscar-nominated actress, Maggie Gyllenhaal. Maggie, you have got a series now on HBO that is like chewing gum. If you watch one, you've got to just keep, you've just got to keep watching it. And it, and it, the deuce, you, James Franco, a terrific cast across the board here. Mm-hmm. But it's some rough material here. This is not your typical television uh, entertainment, I didn't think. I mean, it really deals with the, the beginning of the porn scene, basically, in New York in, mm-hmm. the, in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And, um, What attracted you, basically, to the idea of doing this? You know, it's so interesting what attracts me. You know, it's not like I go out, it's not like I'm looking for something uh, in particular, you know, thematically, or it's just sometimes I read something and I think, oh yeah, I have to do that. And the quality of the writing, of course, has a big effect, and it was David Simon and George Pelicanos, and the script was so good. But I think I was also, it was a while ago that I first read the pilot, you know, so I'm trying to remember, but I think I, I also was interested in thinking about sex and sexuality and power and how we use our sexuality in our culture yeah. and thinking about it from the point of view of a prostitute. You know, I mean, I think that's sort of like going to the source. Yeah. And I didn't know at the time how all of this was going to explode into the minds of everyone in Hollywood, but I think that it was on everyone's minds anyway, and it was on mine. So I was interested in that. That's what I was wondering about it, you know, the timing of it, because when you started shooting it was before all of this broke, and when it started airing, Mm -hmm. it was just before it all broke. And so as the series is airing, all of this is 
t making front page headlines. Yeah, and it's not only that, it's also Trump, who I think also had yeah. something to do with this all exploding. You were shooting this during the run-up to the election? Exactly. Yeah. So we were shooting it basically during the during the campaigning. We would, you know, be shooting splits a lot of the time. <laughs> so our lunch would be at night, and we would watch the debates, you know, like on our lunch break. Um, so even though we didn't know that Trump was going to be elected, and it was a shock to m many of us, um, all of this was on our minds. All of this was bubbling underneath everything we were all thinking about. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think that's true for kind of everyone in America. Otherwise, how would he have been elected? You know, right. it was on all of our minds. And, and I think... I, I think it's the same thing with, you know, talking about power and sexuality and that struggle in Hollywood. I think that's been on all of our minds for a long time. And um, I'm really interested to see, and of course I can't talk about it now, but how all of that plays out in season two. Because of course yeah. this is a show about commerce, sex, misogyny. Um, misogyny I mean, in a big way, I, I think, comes through there too. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. true. But also... Yes, it's true. It's a huge part of what the show's about, and it's what we're all thinking about all the time, you know, right, at yeah. work and then also like in the news, you know. Did you um, think about it when you were deciding to do it? Because there are some very rough scenes about violence involving women there, but it, that it seemed so natural to me the way it's presented there. It's not exploitative. Mm -hmm. It's understandable why you would have it in there. But did you think, do I want to do this? Will I get, you know, feedback here from people that maybe I shouldn't be? Well, if we do a show about sex workers and we make it seem like it's kind of fine, mm -hmm. I think that's really problematic yeah. politically. So you have to have violence and you have to have exploitation and you have to have also the other side of it. I mean, for my character, she is lit up and she's turned into an artist by getting involved in porn. Yeah. She becomes a a filmmaker by being exposed to porn. So like it's a complicated spectrum of ideas yeah. about about all of these things that's being presented, but I don't think you can you can present it or think about it without the violence and without the like real serious darkness. Otherwise you're making pretty woman, which I don't think is what any of us were setting out to do, right? right? You know, <laughs> so so as long yeah. as you're aware of what it is you're presenting and you're not getting off on it. Yeah. I think it actually really serves a conversation about women and sex and power to include the reality for many people doing that job, you know, the violence that is a reality for them. And of course, there's another member of that household who we've been talking to as well, Mr. Peter Sarsgaard, who is Maggie's husband and also one of the leads in Hulu's The Looming Tower and a magnificent, as I called it in my review, 10-part series which looks at the lead up to 9-11, the terrible, terrible mistakes and, and, and information and bureaucratic wars between the FBI and the CIA and the White House and also looking at how so much of what could have stopped one of the greatest tragedies in American history could have been avoided. At our, our Contenders Emmys event, I sat down with one of the executive producers, as well as Peter Sarsgaard and the other lead, Mr. Jeff Daniels, to talk about the looming tower, what it tells us about what happened back in the 1990s and leading up to 2001, and what it tells us about today. Craig, you know, it's taken so long, I feel, for us to be able to talk about and, 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 and depict 9-11, and, and it's the subtitle to Wright's book, The Road to It, in a way in the arts. How did you guys, how did you conceive of how you were going to tell this story in a 10-part series? It was difficult. I mean, we're dealing with 
Lawrence Wright's book, which scans, spans 60, 70 years of, of the history of the Muslim Brotherhood going into uh, where we pick up the story. And Larry really drove the story in terms of the John O'Neill character being someone we should really be focusing on. And that laid out really well in terms of being able to give 10 episodes worth of uh, time to that. But it was, it's hard. There's a lot of information. It was more about what we were going to keep in um, as opposed to having enough information to try and tell. There's a lot. It's a big story. Jeff and Peter, you guys do an incredible job in this series. And I, please, you have to give them a round of applause. Amazing. Amazing work. And so much of the looming tower pivots on the relationship between your two characters. John O'Neill, who was the head of the FBI counterterrorism unit and later was killed on 9-11 because he was the head of security at the World Trade Center. And Peter, your character, who's a, a composite to some degree. Um, you, your characters meet briefly, but the tension between the FBI and the CIA is the dominant force in this. For the two of you, what did you learn from making this and from the story that you guys are telling? I mean, so I first read this book when it came out, um, which I guess was in 2007 or so. And um, I mean, it, you really have to read the book. Anyone here who has not read the book, it's just, it's really, really important, I think, for the time in which we live right now. Um, and, you know, when you go into a job like this as an actor, what you're learning is so, so much smaller because your view is not like this, you know, your view is like this. And so I guess having read the book, I felt a great deal of anger and confusion at the way that the agencies enacted, specifically uh, at Alex Station. But, you know, as you get into it, you start to think like, it makes, it made sense to me at least why I would protect information. Because, you know, you look at the source for the jackal, for example, the terrorist who was a walk-in. Um, we ended up giving him away and he was murdered. So, it's not without precedent that sources are destroyed. So I think, you know, I'm playing someone who's collecting information, who wants to get to the heart of the heart of the heart of the matter. And both men think he's playing right someone thing. who wants to arrest people. So, you know, the two, the two don't get along. And so as you go to play something like that, you know, I, I've said this before, but I always had the sense that I was the smartest person in the room which, of course, is a very lonely place, but also, you know, self-important place. So, um, yeah, what I, what I end up learning doing it is so much different than I learned reading it so long ago. But I guess the two go together somehow. Jeff? Uh, I, all, all of that, I mean, but I also, um, I, I didn't know the book, and I didn't know John O'Neill. And so I felt, after we shot it, when it came out, I felt like, you know, there are a lot of people, I mean, 9-11 to some people is a long time ago, or they weren't even aware of it, they're so young. And I feel like I'm like a viewer who knew 9-11 happened, but didn't know why or how. And, and when you get into it, and when you read the book, and then when you find out about people like John O'Neill that you never heard about, and the problems with the CIA versus the FBI, you're going, are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. 
Are you kidding me? And then you immediately go to, can it happen today? Or rather, how often does it happen today? Well, I mean, you know, John Brennan, who's really out there on the Trump thing, is, is, was the head of CIA, I think. Yeah, and, and I remember asking Ali Soufan a couple weeks ago on a press thing, I said, do you think the CIA and the FBI are getting along or sharing intelligence better? Or he goes, yes, they are. Hmm. They are. So things have been learned, but then you get to the point of back then, every office had someone in it. Every department was fully staffed. That's not the case. And we had, you know, disagree with the ideology of Clinton or Bush, but we had people upstairs who were experts, Mm -hmm. the best and the brightest. We don't have that now. So that, that, I came away with that and, you know, going, Yeah. You know, one of the things about... about have, a, have a nice Sunday. <laughs> well, Peter, Peter just kind of had the line of the day without saying too much. I wish I could come off of it, but it's just like, Sorry. good God, put him you in can. jail. You can. You can't come off of it because... So thanks for listening to Pete and I today talk about who could be the nominees for Best Actor in a Comedy Series in this year's Emmys and for listening to the Deadline Podcast TV Talk. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes so you're never going to miss an episode of Mr. Hammond and I doing what we do. And of course, you can find all of our Emmy-breaking news coverage at Deadline.com. Thanks for joining us today. Talk to you soon. TV Talk. Goodbye. <laughs>